The following program is being brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. You know, for centuries, we've been attempting to fight the good fight, to finally put an end to evil once and for all. Mostly, we think we're going to accomplish this through government philanthropy and the power of wealth and groups of people bound together on a mission to do away with evil. But we also think of it very personally, so that we must go to war within ourselves against the evil within. And if someone were to say to most of us that there's no such thing as good or evil, we would vehemently argue that A, that is just the kind of thinking that creates even more evil, and B, If we're ever to stop fighting the great battle, we would not only lose our sense of nobility, but we would be overwhelmed with all the evil that really is always lurking around trying to find an open door to fly through. We are terrified of realizing that though we have been fighting this battle for centuries, nothing has changed. And yet, that's the truth. So what what are we going to do about this? Stay here today. We're going to have a long talk about what it means to, uh, to really let go of this whole concept of good and evil. And I know I'm walking on thin ice here. I know that a lot of people are out there going, are you nuts, Andrea? Look around. I mean, really, just look around. Can't you see that evil is everywhere? Uh, Did you not hear about the young man getting shot today by a police officer? Did you not hear about uh, 9-11? Did you not hear about Hitler? Hello, where have you been, Andrea? Or maybe I'm one of those people who likes to believe that all of life is just uh, an illusion and all I have to do is stick my head in the sand and not ever listen to any news and not ever listen to uh, the political ramifications of all the goings-on in Washington, D.C. or around the world. Maybe I'm one of those people who just says, I just shouldn't listen to all that because it makes me upset. I'm not one of those people. Frankly, I listen to the news quite a bit, and I pay attention to the news quite a bit. I don't know everything that goes on in the news for sure, but I do keep up with it fairly well. But what I do know is that, in fact, there is no such things as evil or good. We've made those concepts up. Why did we do that? Well, because we thought we were separate from the divine, and we thought that the reason we were separate from the divine was because the divine was good and we were evil. And so we have lived out that paradigm for century upon century upon century upon century. So here's the thing. We've been doing this thing over and over and over again for, you know, since time immemorial. And yet it's still not working. And you know the definition of insanity is doing the same old thing, looking for different results. Well, perhaps we're all a little bit insane when it comes to this thing of good and evil. Because... If we were really to really look at what goes on in the mind and heart of what we call an evil person, 
we might find out that maybe they're not evil. Maybe they're just really distorted. Maybe they have just completely distorted all of life around an identity that says, I have to exist as a bad person or I don't exist at all. Maybe those people that we think are super good are really not so super good after all. They're really just operating out of obligation, out of duty, out of something akin to um, a must, a should, an ought to, a have to. And they filled up to overflowing maybe sometimes with resentment for all the good deeds they do. Or maybe they are like Thichnot Han. This is what he says in his book called Essential Writings. People think it's impossible to establish a system of ethics without referring to good or evil. But clouds float, flowers bloom, and wind blows. What need have they for a distinction between good and evil? There are people who live like clouds and flowers and wind, who don't think about morals, and yet many people point to their actions and words as religious and ethical models, and they praise them as saints. These saints simply smile. If they revealed that they do not know what is good and what is evil, people would think they are crazy. That's by Thichnot Han, And if you look at the, at the deep sacred writings of many of the texts of the, uh, the Hebrew uh, Tanakh, the Christian Bible, the uh, Bhagavad Gita, uh, the, the Kabbalistic writings, the Buddhist writings, Taoist writings, all of them, really, when you get down to the deepest, most sacred elements of those languages, there's no such thing as good and evil. We don't need those. What we need is a heart that is filled up to overflowing with its natural, deepest essence, which is divine. But we don't know that, and so we live in this paradigm of good and evil. And we live it out and live it out and live it out. And so all of our striving to be good um, actually means nothing because if it's not coming from something deep like love... In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, a chapter that many Christians and non-Christians all over the world quote as like the definition of love, it says, If I give my body to be burned, but it doesn't come from love, it means nothing. It means zippo, nada, nothing. So what does that mean? I mean, really, I'm giving up everything? Isn't that enough to show that I'm a good person? That I deserve to be, you know, call myself worthy? What's going on here? Well, what's going on here is that if it doesn't come from love, it isn't real. It isn't real. It's a game we play. You see, we've stuck sacrifice based in the, in the, in the Christian motif, but, but not just the Christian motif, in, in the idea of humanity. We've based this idea of sacrifice, uh, we've put it way up on a pedestal, and we've said that it, it is the highest order of love. But there are many people who sacrifice, and it doesn't come from love. Uh, there are people who sacrifice, and it comes from love. You know, if like if a person sacrifices their life to rescue someone uh, from a burning building, and they've just jumped in there and done it because they needed to rescue this, excuse me, this person. Well, then, yeah, that that I might say might be love. Might not be, I guess. If that person operates mostly out of duty and obligation, they might do it out of duty and obligation, and they've given up their life for nothing. Did they save somebody else's life? Yes, but their life is gone, and it means nothing. So, 
what is this all about? How is it that a person can come from love all the time? Well, see, we don't even believe in that possibility. Because we say to ourselves all the time, well, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. So, you know, we can strive for it. And we should strive for it. Because if we're not striving for it, then we're really bad people. I mean, you know, the really good people, well, they they are always striving for goodness. And the people that aren't so good, well, they don't care. And by our definition of people, you know, the common sort of colloquial definition of people, that might appear to be true. But... When it comes down to what goes on inside the person, and that is what Jesus was addressing, that's what the, the Bhagavad Gita addresses, that's what Buddhism addresses, that's what uh, Kabbalism addresses, that's what many of the world's religions and traditions address, is the inner person. And yet, we're still stuck on that outer person, aren't we? We're still mightily stuck on that outer person. And particularly in the West, we are so image conscious that uh, we've lost touch with our authenticity in many cases so let's talk just a little bit about the philosophy of good and evil james hall and jeffrey raff write in their article that's entitled thoughts on the nature of evil which is published in the journal of union theory and practice they say both good and evil are abstractions made by a particular ego in a particular context both egos and contexts change there is no metaphysical evil in Taoism, the I Ching, in the, or in the circular forms of self repre- represented in Jung's diagrams in Ion. Good and evil are overarching opposites of all experience. They form a siji, which is paired opposites. Each exists only in relationship to the other. Without their relationship, both would cease to exist. So what does that mean? That means that in order for me to say that I'm a good person, I have to list certain things. Behaviors and thoughts, generally speaking, and maybe some feelings thrown in the mix, but that's rarer. I, I have to say that I am kind, I'm considerate, I'm, uh, uh, and I'm caring about other people, and I think of myself last, and I don't cheat, and I don't lie, and I don't uh, steal, and I don't commit adultery, and I don't lust, and I don't, 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 don't. So you see, all of a sudden now, in order for me to be a good person, there has to be a lot of evil I don't do. So in order for me to fully define myself as a good person, I have to use evil to define myself as good. In the same way, an evil person would say, I am not kind, I am not generous, I am not loving, I am not caring, I am not all those things that a person must be to be good. Therefore, I depend on the definition of good in order to define myself as evil. So you see, they don't exist without each other. They are mutually interdependent upon each other. And in, in Isaiah 45.7, Yahweh claims that he actually created peace and evil. What does that mean? What? God created evil? What does that mean? Well, when we look at the words evil, in, uh, in the start, as it starts in the Christian Bible, the Jewish Tanakh, um, in the tree of knowledge of good and evil, what we see there is that the words good and evil don't really mean any kind of moral uh, good and evil. They are actually talking about pleasant and unpleasant. Um, in other words, when we ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, we invited suffering into the, into the realm of possibility because we uh, believed that we were now separate from the divine. 
And anytime we believe we're separate from the divine, we're invite suffering into the realm of possibility. So that tree was not really talking about mor- moral good and evil. We added that to it. And why did we do that? Well, because we had to figure out some kind of rationalization for why we would be separate from the divine who created us in his image from that Western motif. Um, and the only thing we could come up with was, well, that we had sinned. We had gone astray. We had left God behind. And we had stopped being, uh, therefore, good people. And we had stopped being, therefore, close to the divine. So, when we think about good and evil, what we think about, many in the Western world go straight back to that whole concept of, of, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, where Eve, of course, the woman, being the most sinful of all, sinned and took uh, charge of the rest of humanity. From then on out, we have been born into what is called original sin. But that's not all. Even people that are atheists still have deep conceptualizations about moral activity, good and bad. So this is, this is worldwide. This is not just based in the, in the Christian archetype. It's based in uh, a world ethic. It's wrong to kill people. It's wrong to hurt people. It's wrong to, um, to, um, to harm another physically, emotionally, spiritually, or mentally. Um, yes, and, and would I say that I would promote those activities? Absolutely not. But what, one of the things that Jesus said when he was talking about righteousness, he actually said that our righteousness should exceed that of the Pharisees who were the, considered to be the most righteous in all the land. What he used, that word, the word he used for righteousness means only Christ truly. So what he's talking about there is that we have to incorporate our Christ nature in order to be righteous. The Buddha could say it this way. We must incorporate the Buddha nature. Um, the Bhagavad Gita would say the divine self. We must incorporate the divine self. There's many ways of talking about this idea of an, uh, a beingness inside of us that doesn't need laws and rules and obligations and duties and shoulds and ought tos and have tos to 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 make it work it just does what it does out of the truth of its nature and the truth of its nature is divine self is Christ nature is Buddha nature it is that deep essence that is self no self that the Buddha talks about that is the essence of who we are and that's what Thich Han is referring to when he says that you know a person can live like a, a tree or a flower or a or a uh, cloud or wind, and not even think about morals. And yet, many people point to their actions and words as religious and ethical models, and they praise them as saints. But they smile because they don't want to tell anybody. They don't really know what good is and what evil is. Because if they knew that, they might think they were crazy. That's what he was talking about. He was talking about getting down to your deepest essential nature. And that's what people tap into when they begin to meditate. Is that deepest essential nature. And that's why people begin to transform when they tap into that. And that's why people begin to uh, to live more from compassion and passion rather than rules, ought tos, and shoulds. But there's a big problem with that. We don't trust it. it I know that some people out there listening to me now must think I'm worshiping Satan <laughs> or something like it because I'm I'm advocating 
that we begin to live from our truest, deepest self, which is divine in, in its essence, which is the Buddha nature, which is the Christ nature. But, uh, and, and I know that that's really scary because we don't trust that if we just surrender to our deepest essence, we will actually end up being good people. What we are afraid of, terrified of, in fact, is that if we let go, if we ever stop striving, shooting, oughtening, and, and, and demanding of ourselves, that we'll just turn out to be these horrible people. I can't even tell you how many clients I've had ask me, what if it turns out that I'm really a horrible person if I get in touch with my authentic self? Well, we're going to talk some more about that right after the break. Stay tuned for more. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Ask Theo Live, channels to a new reality. Following her near-death experience, world-renowned author and spiritual medium Sheila Gillette became the direct voice channel for Theo, a consortium of 12 archangels. Through this unique channel, Sheila and co-host Marcus Gillette present you with an opportunity to speak directly with Theo live on air on any topic you wish to discuss, including receiving authentic messages from deceased loved ones and angelic guides. Get the answer you need by tuning in to Ask Theo Live, channels to a new reality, Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Could you be the next legendary leader? That question hinges on your courage and willingness to change. Join Maria Danley every week for Legendary Leaders, answering the higher calling. Be inspired by stories and legend and listen to legendary guests along with live channeling to help you answer your higher calling and become the legendary leader you are destined to be. The world is waiting for you. Step up and join the wave. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll-free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back. You know that the Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the Super Soul Sunday, and uh, Oprah and John Kabat-Zinn, Ph.D., are going to be coming to this next upcoming Super Soul Sunday on April the 12th at 11 a.m. Eastern and Pacific on OWN 
to talk about an introduction to mindfulness meditation and the benefits it can bring to our everyday lives. We don't have a clip for that show today. Uh, they were not able to get it ready for our show today in time for our show today, but I wanted you to know about it coming up, and you can certainly go online and investigate more. You can also join the worldwide simulcast on Oprah.com slash Sunday or Facebook.com slash Sunday. So uh, you want to be there for that. Those Super Soul Sundays are actually uh, very rich in wisdom and uh, just a, a real deep spiritual uh, connection there. You also know that the Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. AIHT offers degrees in interfaith and interspiritual educational programs that enable you to not only find your own authentic spirituality, but to bring your unique gift to the world in service upon graduation. At AIHT, you can get a master's, doctorate, or ministerial bachelor's degree, and the doctoral programs are broken down so that you may get a Ph.D., a doctor of ministry, or in the holistic theology program, a doctor of theology degree. The programs in which you may get these degrees are holistic theology, holistic health, holistic ministries, metaphysics, and parapsychology. These courses offer depth and meaning to not only your own spiritual search for truth and meaning, but to your capacities to bring your healing, loving, guiding gifts to the world. The population of students includes doctors, lawyers, healers, nurses, ministers, counselors, psychologists, social workers, nutritionists, herbologists, homeopathy practitioners, psychics, mediums, and many others who have a special gift but need to learn to hone it and credential it. It also includes students who simply wish to enhance their own profound spiritual journeys. What's most important to AIHT's model is the exploratory nature of studies that reach to the depths of all the world's religions, traditions, and paths, and even to transcend them to find the mystical core of them all in order to facilitate your own journey to your own authentic spirituality by utilizing as your text-writing teachers spiritual experts from all over the world. You can learn more about what's offered by going to www.aiht.edu. Or if you'd like to talk directly to the admissions director, call Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. You know, Oprah says education is the key to unlocking the world, a passport to freedom. Call and get your passport today. So we're talking about a very difficult subject today. We're talking about um, realizing that good and evil don't actually exist. And that's a real scary subject for most of us. And we said just before the break that uh, we were going to talk about this whole thing about why we're so scared of it. The reason we're so scared of it is because from centuries upon centuries and generations upon generations, we have passed down this concept that we are separate from the divine, that there is deep punishment available to those who are sinful, and that there is some kind of eternal reward for people that are good. And uh, if it's not that in the Western motif, it's also the Eastern motif, which is karma. And our karma, concept of karma, is also filled up to overflowing with duality. For in that concept, we believe that uh, in the next life, in our next reincarnation, we will be punished for the things that we did wrong in the previous life and or we will be rewarded for the things that we did right in the previous life. So still there is this great concept of good and bad or good and evil that carries on down through the karmic uh, lineage. And so we, we carry this concept throughout. So when I'm, I'm you know, pushing on this, this, this idea, I'm terrifying people. But what I've come to understand, uh, not meaning to terrify anybody, but it, does, it is terrifying, and that's why we get so angry about it. It's, it's really interesting to watch 
when you talk to someone who has a deep-seated belief in morality uh, about this, and, and you do step very gingerly there, but when you do try to talk about it, you get this red-in-the-face anger that comes from uh, a protecting evil. It's not even protecting good. They will fight to the death, practically, to assert that there is evil in the world. And and when I just very calmly ask, well, would you have this much energy behind trying to prove to me that there's good in the world? And there, you know, it's like, well, that's just a non, that's just a, you know, it's not a not a non question. You can't even ask that question because they just go right back to, well, there's evil in the world. Um, so we we lean heavily on this concept of evil, heavily. All of us good people, we lean heavily on this concept that we must have evil in the world um, because if there's no evil in the world, then how can I prove that I'm good? And that, of course, would not we wouldn't carry that out to that full length in terms of our understanding about life. But um, that is true. If, we, if there's no evil in the world, then how can I prove that I'm good? It's really true. And then again, if there's no good in the world, how could I prove that I'm evil? So like I said a little while ago, these are mutually interdependent concepts that we have built up over the centuries to mean something when they actually don't mean anything. Because as we said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the definition of love, if I give my body to be burned, give everything I own to the poor, yet it doesn't come from love, it means zippo, nothing. It means nothing, nothing. So we, you know, if I don't, if I'm not coming from the deep, essential, core nature of who I am, which is love, then everything I do is nothing. And I'd like to be doing something here on Earth. And it, so we're not just talking about loving other people and diminishing yourself. We're talking about loving yourself, loving others, loving the things and people and places and events in your life, loving life itself. Loving the trees and the flowers and the birds and the animals in your life. Loving all that is. We, when we fill up that way with love, we don't even have to have a gratitude journal. <laughs> We're just filled up to overflowing with the love of it. And when we get to that place, we are at the essential core of who we are. And so when, when we define God as love, we define God as uh, a fire a consuming fire, um, and later in some of the letters to uh, to the churches from uh, Peter and um, Paul, we find that what we're doing is saying that God is the all-consuming fire of love. We put those things together, and that is what we are. We are we are made in the image of God, and we are therefore just exactly like God. What we want to do, however, is we want to make God just exactly like us. And so we have storied that throughout history. We have uh, attributed things to God that weren't God's, like the latest, well, the latest hurricane, whatever we call it, an act of God. In the insurance policies, they call it an act of God. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, and so what we're saying there is that anything bad that happens that seems strange or, or, or out of my control, well, that's just in the hands of God. But actually, if we are gods, if we are the gods, and Jesus said we were, and many of the other sacred texts of the world say that we are, then, then we have to look to ourselves. 
is it possible that things we're doing here on planet Earth are creating bad weather? Well, all you have to do is look at the science today and see how, uh, see how the climate change is making a big difference to see that, yes, indeed, we can, we can affect the weather. And that's just the science. Maybe there's other ways we can affect the weather, too. So, you know, we, we give all kinds of powers to evil in the same way. When, when, when something bad happens, we think that we're being punished. We, and this is archetypal. Sometimes we don't think it consciously, but deep down inside we have this belief that somehow we're being punished. And finally, when, we, when the grief really stirs up and we really begin to start really expressing how we feel, some of the comments that come out of our mouth are like, why is this happening to me? I've done nothing wrong. That's one of, the, one of the central things we say when we suffer the most. Why is this happening to me? I've done nothing wrong to deserve this. I don't deserve this. And that's how we think. And why do we think that way? Because we think in terms of good and evil. So, so let's talk a little bit about how we do this on a regular basis with our, um, in our everyday living we identify, and I've, I've said this before, but I'll explain it again. We develop our identities early on we, when we're pre-verbal because we come here looking for mirrors and our environments provide that mirror. So if mom comes to change my diapers every day with a scowl on her face, then I'm going to look at that scowl like it's a mirror. And I might either develop that scowl or I might try to bounce off of that scowl and try to be this happy, happy, happy person so I can make mommy happy. And connect with her that way. Um, either way, that's my mirror, and I'm bouncing off of it or, or um, identifying with it directly in order to find out who I am in this life. And so um, that's just one example of many. So when we talk about the the people being bad guys, you know, that we talk about this whole thing about the bad gene these days, um, children, sociopathic children being born as sociopaths. Um, you know, this identification thing happens so early that it would be really difficult for us to determine whether it was genetic or environmental. And uh, But what I would say is that it's very likely environmental, and, and I don't even want to say environmental. It's a mix between um, what I'm trying to do in terms of finding out who I am and what the world is, is giving me as a mirror. So... And uh, there is some science behind identification. Um, Bruce Lipton has done some real strong work on that, and it says that we have uh, we develop out of a delta brainwave state in the earliest stages of our lives, between zero and two. And in that delta brainwave state, we are just receiving, receiving, receiving. We're not putting out much. We're just receiving. And that is how that that's that mirroring. We're we're taking in that mirror image of who we are, and and we're just identifying with it, quietly identifying with it. And then from from two to seven, we are uh, in, in the theta brainwave state, which is a, a highly imaginative brainwave state, which means we can connect dots that aren't necessarily connected, and we can come up with conclusions that aren't really realistic, and we can create all kinds of magical thinking, which adds more to the identity we've already established. So. Uh, there is some science behind that, and there are some um, theorists, uh, notable theorists out there who are saying that this whole thing of identity is a trance state. It's a hypnotic state we get into that uh, we act out of completely. We, Our thoughts go on, are in alignment with it. Our emotions are in alignment with it. Our, our words are in alignment with it, and our actions are in alignment with it. That's who we think we are. 
And if somebody were asked us to say, that's not who you really are, we'd fight them and say, you don't know me. This is who I really am. And I have literally heard people say, no, you don't know me. I've, you don't know who I am. This is who I am. And my response is very often, that is what you do, but we don't know yet who you are because we haven't explored it yet. Um, so when this thing of identity comes up, we have to look at the possibility that people that we consider to be evil have just identified in some way with something that they saw in the family system that allowed them to fit into that family system in some kind of way. And one of the ways that works is if I'm raised in a family with parents who do not accept any kind of uh, badness on their own part. Maybe they're hyper-religious or maybe they're just very arrogant and can't really ever say I'm sorry or I was wrong. Um, and, And so what I do is I become the wrong for them. I'm doing them this gigantic favor. I'm letting them... Um, I'm letting them project all of their badness onto me, and I accept it. And I and I, usually the people who do this have very big hearts. But in order for me to exist at all now, I've got to be bad, and I've got to prove that I'm bad. So what am I going to do? I'm going to do bad things so people will tell me that I'm bad, then I can prove that I'm bad. Then I can say, okay, I'm here, I'm real, I exist. I've heard uh, Jungian analysts say that our mothers actually make us real. By seeing us, by literally seeing who we are, and if they don't, ma- if they don't see who we are, then they they make us unreal. They make us feel unreal. And at some deep level, when you get down to the bottom line, when you're dealing with somebody who's got uh, that bad guy identity, they will very often kind of acknowledge that there's nothing real. There's nothing that's really real unless they can be bad. And so what they're saying is, I exist if I'm bad, and if, I don't, if I'm not bad, I don't exist. So they're going to have to do more and more and more bad just to prove that they still exist. And this could end up being a serial killer. They've got to do something that's really heinous in order to prove to the, that they exist. And that also could explain why they want so much attention when they actually do get um, caught. They want to be on the front pages everywhere so they can say, yep, see, there I am on the front page. I'm real. And uh, so this whole thing of identity is huge, and it's really demarcated along the lines of this good and evil idea that we have. And so what I would say is all of the proof that we think we have that there's evil in the world is made up of identification that's made out of how we came up in a world and saw people's faces and thought they were mirrors. In other words, it's an illusion. So when we... When we when we think about it in those terms, what we have to come down to is maybe there's more to me than just the way I act or think or even the way I feel sometimes. Maybe there's an essence to me that runs deeper. And if that's true, what is that? And how would I get in touch with it? Well, we can certainly get in touch with it through meditation, but sometimes it comes out in other ways that we just don't recognize. Like, for example... Uh, I used to work in prison systems doing alcohol and drug assessments, and one of the things that I saw was p- men in particular who would say to me, lady, you need to stay away from me. I'm a bad guy. I'm a bad dude. I'm a bad guy, one of those things. And and and, and yet you would see them do these fairly compassionate acts for their fellow inmates but deny that they'd done it if they got caught. So they're kind of denying that they've done something good in the way that a good person might deny that they've done something bad. That's how, 
that's how much it's all about identity instead of being about something real called good and evil. And we can talk about that from the angle of goodness as well, and, and we will. But, but, but the idea here is that um, we have based our sense of worth entirely on this good-evil paradigm. I am worthy if I can be bad enough to prove that I exist, or I am worthy if I can be really, really good and prove to everybody that I really am a good person, which also proves to me that I exist. And, and so w- what we're looking for is that feeling of I'm really here, I'm really real, I'm really in this body, I'm really in this moment, th- I am really alive. But without mirrors, it's hard for us to do that because we come here in physical form looking for mirrors. So this whole thing is, is much bigger, much more psycho-spiritual than we have imagined and runs a lot deeper into our souls than just this simple morality of good and evil can even touch. doesn't even touch the hem of that garment. And we're going to talk some more about it right after the break, so stay tuned for more. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. When you learn to see things from a spiritual perspective, it changes the way you see virtually everything in your life. Listen for Dr. Paula Joyce and her program, Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Our program will help you get rid of the negative aspects of your life and invite love, joy, and prosperity into your life. Turn that negative feeling into a positive one. Tune in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. On the program Inside Out, our outsides match our insides. Join host Beth Green along with co-host James Maynard for an insightful weekly journey that lets us all be real with no boundaries. We'll discuss current events, interview amazing guests, challenge old ideas, and see ourselves and our world more clearly. It's about you as much as us. So you're invited to call in, write in, and most of all, tune in. Listen for Inside Out, live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about the battle, the myth of the battle between good and evil. Um, And we've said that it's a myth because... uh, it is based in some illusions about identity. And uh, I'm not going to go back over all of that again, but I am going to say that this 
the the idea that identity how we formulate our identities is a crux in this whole imagined scenario between about a battle between good and evil um, means that if we were to be able to be raised in homes where we were mirrored for our deepest authenticity we would be able to be those authentic people who know their own essence and walk in it and live out of compassion and, and passion we're not in a generation where that's typically happened and so we're going to have to be sort of living with this whole concept of good and evil all around us because my little uh, piece of this is not going to make uh, the world turn over on its ear today. But we can say that I don't have to live. You know, Jesus talked about living in the world but not of the world. I don't have to live from that paradigm. And, uh, and, and so in not living from that paradigm, what I mean is that I come from something deeper. This whole thing about good and evil is very shallow. I mean, think about it. I mean, if if you think about something bad happening on the news, um, you you hear about somebody shooting somebody or raping somebody or molesting a child or something awful like that, and and you and you say, well, that the person who did that is just evil, and I feel so sorry for the victim, and I, I you know, they're evil, and just they just need to go to jail, and then we just sort of wipe our hands of it, and we're done. That's all we have to do is just know that the person who did it is evil. They need to go to jail. And the person that needs to be that was the victim needs to be healed. That's real simple, isn't it? Real black and white. Isn't that the way we like to think? Just like tamp it down, that's over. It's, we don't have to think about that anymore. But if we had to really realize what's going on in the distortions in a person's mind when they do that, when they do something evil, like we consider to be evil, um, we would have to take a whole other take. We would have to be able to say, to feel compassion for that person who's so distorted and lost, completely lost, utterly lost from who they actually are. Uh, that, that would be a whole different thing. And then we might see real change take place in the world. So let's talk just a little bit about the good identity. We talked a little while ago about the, the bad boy identity. Let's talk about the good girl or the good boy identity. Um, a person who is in on the and we're talking about extremes here. So we've talked about the extreme bad guy identity, and now we're going to talk about the extreme good guy identity. Uh, this is a person who must be good because the, uh, deep down inside they feel unworthy, and so they need to prove that they're good and good and good and good. So they go out sacrificing and doing good deeds for other people, and they and they get some perks out of that. They get some rewards out of that because people notice and they like them for that. And the, and of course they get used a lot too, and they begin to build some resentment about being used a lot. And, uh, and, but they try to put that away too because that's a bad feeling. They shouldn't have that feeling. And, uh, so they just turn out to be what we consider to be really good people. We talk about these people as they're just good people. You know, they give you the shirt off their back. That's what we say. They're good people. They give you the shirt off their back. They do anything for you. Right? But what we don't know is where that's coming from. And where it might be coming from and is, and is in fact coming from in many cases is somebody who believes that they must be good. In order to not be bad. Because if they ever stop being good for just two minutes, then they're going to find out how bad they really are. And so there's this compulsion to act good all the time, even when it builds resentment. Even when they feel like they're holding bile between their teeth. So it it is... does that mean that there are no compassionate people out there? Absolutely not. There are compassionate people out there and people that are acting out of compassion and and passion that... uh, um, that Han was talking about that aren't thinking about 
morals at all. They're just doing what comes natural within them, which is compassion or passion. So in these, in these extremes, we can see that either the good guy or the bad guy identity can take hold. And, of course, there's all these gradations in between those two polarized extremes. Uh, and most of us live in a kind of way where we, we can be just good enough to tell ourselves we're worthy, but just bad enough to not be too good. Because we don't want to be, you know, excluded from the the hot new up and coming groups because we're, you know, goody two shoes. We don't want to do that. So, so we don't want to be too good, and we don't want to be too bad. So we live in the sort of middle ground in there, and then we would say, well, the middle path—that's the good path. Well, actually, that's not quite the middle path. The middle path would be to be even more mental, which would be coming from your center. And that would be being more authentic and coming from compassion and passion. Um, so this, when we talk about this whole mythology of good and evil, we have stories that go with them. You know, lots and lots of stories about, uh, you know, the devil and Satan and God and a grand battle in the heavens between the devil and God and, and you know, that uh, we can be saved from our sins by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and we can, we can live good lives after that. And the problem is that when I work with people who really f- ground themselves in those belief systems, what happens is they're still, just like everyone else, still striving to be good so that they can, so they can, you know, not have to believe that they've sinned, and that kind of life runs opposite to what we're asked to do in the very same Bible that they use, which is to cease striving and know that I am God. Cease striving means stop trying so hard to be good. Stop, stop. Don't do it anymore. <laughs> but we're so scared that if we stop. If we stop striving, we're going to turn out to be bad people. And then, wow, God's really going to hate us then. So we don't stop. We just keep on doing the same old thing, looking for different results, which, as we said at the beginning of the show, is the definition of insanity. If, and, and so we're also scared of the ultimate outcomes of these choices. So we've, we've down through the centuries believed in the concept of hell for those that are evil and heaven for those that are good. And so there's these eternal outcomes that are waiting for us if we're not uh, good people or if we are good people. And, you know, I'm sorry, I don't want to worship a God who would send people to hell forever and ever, amen, for being distorted, for having a, a, a lost identity. They've already been lost all the way through life. Why would they have to go to hell for eternity and be lost still more? That That is not a God I want to know. But if that's your God, okay, I, I, that's you're certainly allowed, and I certainly respect your right to have that God, but it's not a God I want. If, if we can recognize who we are in the mirror, we can put aside this whole thing of good and evil. When people begin to meditate, as I said earlier, what they find inside is this deep peace that has nothing whatsoever to do with morality. It's not based in, in becoming a good person. It's not pay, based in striving not to be bad. It's not pay, based in overcoming badness. It's not, in, none of that's there. 
that may be spinning around in our heads sometimes, but when we actually get down to that deep, peaceful brainwave state of meditation, there's just peace. There's no judgment. There's no sense that there's something we ought to be doing. There's no uh, um, editor on our shoulder saying, you need to be a better person. This is what you need to do today to be a good person. Um, there's no battle inside of us between good and evil. None of that's there. At that, at that brainwave state that we go to when we meditate, there is only peace. And that's what the Buddha found through his meditation. That's, that's what people all over the world, regardless of religion, experience when they experience uh, what they call a mystical experience. It's, um, it's a state of oneness. It's a feeling that, that, that life of itself is amazing and wondrous and filled with passion and filled with compassion. And it's a feeling of connection, absolute connection to the divine. It's a feeling of uh, knowing that you, there's a kind of knowingness that goes with it that says that I am, I am that that I feel I am. In, in other words, we, we come to know a deeper self. It's not that other self that's identified with good or bad. It's a deeper self. We come to know that in those places. And regardless of religion, people all over the world are having that same exact experience. And so what we can know is that morality is just not it. And, you know, even Jesus talked about that, that, that the, the letter of the law would not be sent away until we finally get to this place where we're complete. Well, when we're complete, that's when we know we don't need the law anymore. And so that's how it's going to be. When we all begin to live out of that deep-centered core place, the authentic self, the divine self, the Christ nature, the Buddha nature, uh, whatever you want to call it, it is that stillness deep within us that is a kind of nothingness that is everything. It doesn't come from thought. It doesn't come from a philosophy of good or bad or any religion. It comes from deep, deep, deep in our central core. And the people that have meditated for long periods of time have found deep transformative changes in their psychological well-being. And that has been evidenced by science to date. We uh, Not only do we transform in terms of our ability to manage our emotions or to listen to the messages of our emotions and take those messages home and do something about them, but we also uh, grow in our ability to think clearer, to make more intelligent choices, to be more present in the moment, to be less stressed. All of these things come out of being connected to that deep central core. And this has nothing whatsoever to do with being a good person or being a bad person. It has to do with being, period. Just being. Just being in that central core essence of who you are. So the minute we step out of the fray of this supposed battle between good and evil, we step into something deeper, more meaningful, richer, more alive, more passionate, more filled with the real urgency that, that compassion gives us, that we go and do for other people just based solely in that compassion. Not because we should, not because we have to, not because we're good people, not because we're striving, simply because 
it's in us to do. This is what's in, in me to do next, and so this is what I'm going to do. And that's what living from that place that Thichnot Han talked about, uh, living like people who live like clouds and flowers and wind, who don't think about morals, and yet many people point to their actions and words as religious and ethical models, and they praise them as saints. That's what Thichnot Han was talking about. We can live like the clouds. We can live like the flowers. We can live like the wind. Flowers don't have morals. <laughs> There's no morals in nature. There. It's not about morals. It's about essence. It's about what's natural. And what's natural for a flower is to grow into a flower. What's natural for an oak tree is to grow into an oak tree. What's natural for a pine tree is to grow into a pine tree. And so if I'm just growing into myself, I'm doing all there is to be done. That's what I came here to do. I didn't come here to you know, fix people or, or be a good person or to be productive for the world or all those ideas that we have framed around this good and evil concept. I came here to be absolutely 100% totally me in the natural deepest essence of who I am. That's why I'm here. That's my purpose in life. That's your purpose in life. That's everyone's purpose in life. And if we're doing that, then we don't need good or evil. and We don't need the laws. We can run ourselves from that deepest Buddha nature, that deepest Christ nature, that deepest divine self, that deepest authentic self, that deepest essence, core essence of who we are, which is peace. Just peace. So that's what we have for today. We're coming back again next week. You want to be here for that? And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.